0: I'm Shaharazani, and in the news, archaeological findings in Israel's Timna Park, which may change, well. Archaeology. Israel is a country rich in history, a fact manifested many a time by impressive, breathtaking archaeological findings which emerge from time to time. Just at the beginning of this month, December 2021, excavations being carried out in Yavne have uncovered the first evidence of a building from the time of the Sanhedrin, the Supreme Legislative Jewish Assembly that went into exile in Yavne after the fall of Jerusalem some 2,000 years ago. Years ago, Yavne saw the discovery of a hoard of gold coins and so much more all over Israel. This new discovery at Timna, at the focus of this in the news, is featured in December's Smithsonian Magazine edition, whose headlines read as follows. An archaeological dig reignites the debate over the Old Testament's historical accuracy. Beneath a desert in Israel, a scholar and his team are unearthing astonishing new evidence of an advanced society in the time of Biblical Solomon. With us is this accomplished scholar, Professor Erez Ben Yosef, Professor of Archaeology at Tel Aviv University and head of the Timna Archaeological Expeditions. Erez, it's a pleasure to have you with us. Thank you, Shaha. Um, Thank you for joining us all the way from Israel. So maybe for the sake of our viewers, could you share a few words about yourself, your background, what do you do, and
1: most importantly, why? I teach archaeology at Tel Aviv University and I dig in the desert every year during the winter time when it's not too hot. We go to the desert, to the Timna Valley, and we excavate there. And I'm interested mostly in ancient technologies, um, many different types of technologies, but mostly metallurgy, how people make, created metal in antiquity. And in Timna, we have the story of copper, of ancient copper, how people were able to make copper out of the rock, out of copper ore. And so this is the focus of my research. I, previously, I have studied uh, geology and archaeology during my academic career, and I tried to combine these two fields. And uh, what we call in archaeology, uh, uh, the study of ancient metals, archaeometallurgy. This is what I, I do most of the time. I did my PhD at uh, San Diego, in San Diego at UCSD uh, with Professor Tom Levy uh, in the years 2006 to 2010. And uh, I was lucky enough, I crossed the ocean to San Diego in order to be able to excavate in Jordan. So I spent my PhD studies working in the mines in Jordan and then I did a postdoc research in another famous copper mine, ancient copper mine, which is the island of Cyprus. And then now, finally, I work on ancient copper in Israel, uh, in the famous copper mines near of Timna, near the city of Eilat. It's incredible to
0: to see copper binding people from so many different places on this earth. You know, it's past and copper and all of this comes together. Let me ask you, before we dive into the details of the project itself and the findings, what do you see in archaeology and and, in your realm um, that attracts you so much to it? What kind of meaning do you see it where other people may just see, you know, rocks and sand and stone?
1: You are are correct. Archaeology is very varied. There is a a lot in archaeology. Um, Many people think about archaeology as kind of a a way to understand history and to uh, get to know events that are not documented in historical documentation. Uh, But it has many, many other aspects. And for me, the, the beautiful thing about archaeology is the experience we have with ancient finds. It's like trying to understand better the human experience. You know, you go to an ancient site and you deal with remains of ancient people that were there 1,000, 3,000, 10,000 years ago. And this engagement with the the debris, the remains, is something magnificent in itself. And then you can find a piece of art, right? So there is a lot of... uh, um, artistic representation in the archaeological record that is also of interest. And, you know, this is part of us humans uh, and our attachment to artwork. So there's a lot of things going on when we you, you go to the field and, and study the ancient uh, uh, remains. Uh, you, you will see right, right away when we talk about Timna, we also have a big historical question. Uh, you mentioned the Bible, and there is a big question, uh, what is in the Bible what is historical in the depictions of the bible and one question we ask is of course if the mines in timna were related to king solomon and if these are king solomon's mines or not and this is all related to our new project in tina it's not so new we excavate in timna so before
0: let's now dive a little bit into that project in timna i i you know king solomon's mines is such a romantic term, you know, that ignites the hearts and imaginations of so many around the world. So maybe a little bit about the project itself. How did you get into it? How long have you been involved in it? What has been the the object of it from the outset? And then we can proceed to what's what's happening
1: now. So we started, Timna is a known ancient copper mine uh, for decades and even like almost two centuries. Uh, from the first time somebody reported that somewhere near Aqaba, there is uh, some ancient mines from uh, a very old age. And then uh, until uh, let's say about 10 years ago or so, because of the previous expedition there, it was believed that the most important period of production in Timna was related to the Egyptian empire, the new kingdom of Egypt, we're talking about 3,300 years ago when Egypt was a, a strong empire and the time of the new kingdom. And this is when I came into the picture. And it, the main reason was wait, related wait, I'm, to- I, I'm, I'm stopping
0: you there just to understand. So why are people, if you're saying that the past expedition determined this Egyptian, it was still known before as king solomon's minds or somewhat to do with king solomon how did that come about like what has been the historical context of that maybe if you can elaborate for a minute
1: yeah well you're correct the the, the history of research of timna is very telling about my profession archaeology because it's it's changed so much uh, through uh, the the decades that uh, it re- really says something about our interpretation of the archaeological finds, and we are going to talk about that in a minute. Before uh, a long time ago in 1934, a Jewish archaeologist uh, by the name of Nelson Glick, who was a famous archaeologist uh, of, of, of Palestine at the time. So he visited Timna in 1934 and saw by the sherds, by the pottery, that this is related to the period we call the Iron Age, which is the time of uh, the biblical Kings uh, David and Solomon. And he said, well, this is the source of wealth of King Solomon in Jerusalem. These are King Solomon's mines. It's important to say that uh, in the Bible itself, there is no reference, explicit reference for King Solomon's mines. Uh, This is more related to this uh, adventure book from the 19th century of uh, Ryder Haggard by this title, which is uh, about mines in South Africa of gold and and diamonds and things like that. But but there is
0: reference in the Bible to the wealth, you know, of King Solomon and the building. The wealth and the use of copper.
1: Right. Someone is using, uh, is depicted using a lot of copper in the construction of the Jewish temple in Jerusalem, The walls were covered with copper uh, and a lot of the appliances in the temple were made of copper. So of course he needed copper from somewhere. And um, and, and Nelson Glick said, this might be the source of copper, King Solomon's mind, uh, the source of wealth for Jerusalem. Uh, But then uh, when uh, systematic research started there in the second half of the 20th century by a big expedition led by uh, Professor Beno Rothenberg, and um, there was kind of a very skeptical approach towards the biblical uh, descriptions. And uh, together with this skeptical approach, there was a major discovery in the middle of the valley, an accidental discovery of an, an Egyptian temple, full of artifacts uh, and uh, inscriptions telling us the names of the different pharaohs that sent expeditions to mine the copper in the valley And uh, after this discovery, Rothenberg was the one that changed the perception that was there before him and decided that all of this magnificent factory should be attributed to the uh, Egyptian Empire. It sounds to me like
0: it's a transition from, um, let's say, archaeological romanticism to an age of deep skepticism about everything. So, you know, Glick sounds like somebody who's very much connected to the Bible in the past and was almost looking to find King David's and Solomon's. And then you have uh, Professor Rothenberg who comes and says, hold your horses. We have to be super skeptics about this. And here is my evidence, this Egyptian uh, temple. There is—it's It goes so much
1: more beyond the stones and the actual, you know, desert. Exactly, and, and, and it's like a like, it's like a pendulum. In the time of Nelson Glake, it was a very romantic, and the Bible was very there and it considered to be completely historical. But then at the time of Rothenberg, it was kind of a movement not only with Rothenberg, with Israeli archaeology in general, about being much more scientific and much more objective and much more skeptical about the text, but to another extreme that I believe that we are still in this extreme uh, skepticism, let's say. And uh, I, I would say that we have to find the middle way. And I think that the new research in Timna is showing us that there has to be a middle way, uh, because what happened is that after Rothenberg decided all of these sites, all of these mines should be dated to the time of the Egyptians, like 300 years before King Solomon, uh, and it, it was very absolute, it, it was very decisive. It had to be dated only to this period and uh, there was nothing there at the time of Solomon. And only an empire could be responsible for this uh, fantastic uh, work. Such, such an country. elaborate
0: operation. But exactly. then, we, then we dove into you getting there. So when you arrived there, what year was it? The first time I came to excavate in
1: Tina was in 2009. And and at the time you came to an Egyptian site. Yes, and I came there because it was an Egyptian site to study the Egyptian smelting technology. How did the Egyptians smelt copper 3,300 years ago? I was, as I I told you, I was interested in uh, the technology. Uh, Making copper out of rock was the most sophisticated technology of the time. It requires a lot of uh, skill, a lot of uh, uh, resources and uh, management. And we we won't get into all of these details, but this was what uh, I was interested in. We had another project that was related to the magnetic uh, signal of slag, which was going on at the same time. We we used the, the waste of copper production to understand better the magnetic field at the time. So we were a group of uh, several scholars coming there for like 10 days. And what was different maybe from Rothenberg is that we had the budget and uh, uh, intention to send a lot of samples to be radiocarbon dated. And what we did is send, uh, we we did send a lot of materials to be dated. And when we got the results, we were very surprised. We were really completely uh, shocked at the beginning, we thought there is a mistake with the dating, or there is.
0: What, what did something. you send? What did you send, and where did you send it to? And what
1: were what were the results? But there is another beautiful thing about Timna that because it's so dry and it's in the middle of the desert, we have a beautiful preservation of organic materials. Uh, we can talk about it more later, but we have textiles, we have cloth, we have uh, ropes, we have uh, seeds, we have. Uh, everything they ate is, all, is there, the smelters, the metal workers. So uh, radiocarbon, uh, the radiocarbon method is based on organic materials and we sent seeds like date seeds and uh, also charcoal from the furnaces to be dated at the radiocarbon lab at Oxford, uh, the lab uh, directed by Professor Tom Hayam. And uh, in the beginning we sent 11 samples, later on we sent more. And these 11 samples from the site that we uh, thought should be dated to the period of the Egyptians, not a single radiocarbon uh, date was from the period of ancient Egypt or the, or the uh, Imperial Egypt. And most of the results came, came from the 10th century BC from the time of David and Solomon. So again, you see this, uh, the, 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 the interpretation of this remains changed once again. And now we know, after excavating in many other sites, that the most intense production period in Timna was during the days of David and Solomon, about uh, 1000 BCE, this is the time we are talking about.
0: There we have it, you create an upheaval in the archeological perception of Timna, You know, coming to work on metals and striking real um, gold, as we say. <laughs> but yes. the question that i have to ask you and i think it's very important for our viewers to understand what you have really unearthed here is much more than just the facts about the the king solomon's mines and the predating what is the revolution in the thinking of how to uh, interpret archaeology that
1: you were able to <laughs> unravel in your with your finding well i was working there in the in the mines first in jordan and then in timna since maybe 2003, so quite many years.
0: Right.
1: And uh, really, the, as you hinted, the, there is a big um, discovery here that is beyond the story of King Solomon and his mines. And I think uh, the, the, the article in the Smithsonian that you mentioned that was from this issue, it's even got to the cover about uh, the mines, um, the article by Matthew Friedman uh, tells this idea very well, and uh, this is actually something that uh, is easy to, to understand if we think about the biblical narrative. And we all know the stories about the tribes of Israel, and uh, you know the twelve tribes and the other kingdoms nearby and their Malachi, et etc. There is a big presence of nomads of tribes that are the story of the peoples in the land of Israel in the early Iron Age, including the ancient uh, Israelites. Okay, so we need to remember that this is a story of Mormons or people that were nomadic in origin. And the thing is that while we discovered that the mines in Timna uh, are dated to the time of King Solomon, uh, we didn't find any settlements or any permanent settlements of the people that were working in the mines uh, that we believe that they were the ancient Edomites. Edom was a neighboring kingdom to Israel, Uh, it is very famous in the Hebrew Bible because you know Esau is the the father of this nation and they were like uh, uh, very close to the Israelites but this area the land of Edom that David conquered uh, was without any towns, without any fortresses at the time of the peak production of copper. So we had to conclude that this operation was done by nomads. And this is the big deal because usually in biblical archaeology and even in biblical scholarship, when we think about nomads, we think about Bedouins, about like uh, simple societies. That were never were never able to uh, create any significant kingdoms or any, any substantial political organization. And also, this was the idea about ancient Israel: that before complete sedentarization, before complete settlement, nothing could have been in the hill country. And therefore, if we don't find any settlements, it means that the biblical stories are not historical, they are fiction. So the thing is that uh, what we found in the South, in Timna has um, necessitates a change in the way we think about biblical era nomads. Okay, Okay. so instead of Bedouins, we need to think about something else because we have an example there of a nomadic tribal society that was able to uh, be organized in a way that uh, that the production of copper was so intense and coordinated, Uh, it was not only in Timna, it was in the entire Aravar desert and neighboring uh, regions. So, okay, the bottom line is that we see in Timna a nomadic kingdom, so a kingdom based on nomads, something much beyond what we were were able to uh, imagine based on the nomadic, uh, the, the Bedouin model, and the thing is that this can be uh, relevant to our understanding of ancient Israel.
0: Okay? So I want to I want to pause you there and just to see if I understood you correctly. The idea of modern archaeology is to tie advanced societies with some sort of permanent structures, palaces, residences. The big revolution here is the ability to attach a nomadic society with such advanced technological. Um, structures and the copper mines, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, which leads to a change of um, change of thinking. Because, for instance, when you mention the Edomites or, or any nomadic society with the absence of permanent structures, it's very difficult for archaeologists to identify even their very existence in the past. So that would, to a degree, be ignored compared to those who had permanent structures. And here you're saying, guys, listen. Not only did this exist, nomadic society was able to produce this. So we have to think of archeology span in general in different terms. Did I understand correctly?
1: Yeah, this is exactly the point. Uh, And the thing is that the discovery in Tina is a chance discovery. Because if these ancient Edomites uh, were not uh, dealing with copper, we would say there was nothing there. Uh, there uh, There was a gap in the occupation of the region or if we would have noticed some structures, maybe some Bedouins were there, but we were never—we never, we, we, we never uh, could have uh, reconstructed such an advanced society because nomads are invisible to us, right. and archaeologists they are stuck with the visible. So, and this is also the big debates about the. Uh, the uh, the story of Jerusalem and the size of the kingdom, because it's all based on the permanent structures that we are looking for in the ground. But if we understand and take into consideration the possibility that ancient Israel was still partially nomadic in its early days, and we understand that these biblical nomads could have been much stronger than this Bedouin perception of, uh, of them, then we have a, an, an alternative view of the history of the region that is much more in accord with the biblical description. And I would say more than that, the, the adherence to the Bedouin interp- model is something that is kind of a, a modern uh, con- construct uh, that uh, you know there is no reason to, to do that. Um, and the idea that uh, all of the people of Israel had to settle down before they created the kingdom is nothing to do with the biblical description itself. It has much more to do with the, uh, uh, the our, our conception of, of Bedouins, of nomads today, which is a bit, uh, it might be correct to the modern era, but we are talking 3000 years ago in a time in the history of the land where nomads had a big advantage because of uh, uh, in the early period, we know that all of these big empires in the region collapsed and the stability of the region was broken. And this was the time where, like, where, where people, societies that were usually on the periphery, on the fringe, this was exactly the time to thrive, create tribal coalitions and uh, dominate the region uh, and, and you know impact history uh, big time. And we see this evidence for the Edomites in the south because we have their evidence in the mines. Uh, and we don't have this evidence for the Israelites because they didn't engage in copper mines, but it might be relevant to them as well because most scholars accept that the ancient Israelites had a nomadic origin. This is not the argument. Most scholars agree. That the ancient Israelites came from a nomadic tradition, and they were a tribal uh, uh, nomadic uh, society in its early days. And I think there is a ev- there is very strong evidence that they continued to maintain their nomadic way of life deep into the Iron Age, including the time of the United Monarchy of David and Solomon.
0: It's truly the shifting sands of archaeological stability. You know, you're mentioning the Bible, and uh, it reminds me that when the Bible refers to the building of uh, King Solomon's temple in Jerusalem, the idea is that the Israelites went back to their tents, you know, happy and glad. The actual word, in their tents. Oh, yes. So it takes yeah. you exactly to that nomadic uh, interpretation.
1: Right, so you, if you read the Bible uh, literally, especially in the Hebrew version, you read about Ohalim, about tents, all the time during the time of David and Solomon. After the uh, split of the, mo- of the monarchy into, the, into Israel and Judah, we hear about uh, the tribes of Israel getting angry, getting upset, and uh, Leohalecha Israel, or to your tent, or Israel it means tents. And because until now people didn't think that tent dwellers could be a part of any kingdom, scholars said it has to be figurative. And they say tents, but they mean houses. But it is again a modern perception that imposes uh, this interpretation into the text. But if you read the text, we are talking about tents. And the cities that uh, David uh, and Solomon uh, conquered and also construct some stuff in them, are cities that were there before. They were Canaanite cities that uh, were there already. And uh, and the Israelites who came from a nomadic background didn't hurry to build new cities very fast. And again, it was a very uh, slow process of uh, sedentarization that took several generations. And the, the thing is that even a society that was partially nomad could have had a big impact on the history of the region as we see for the case of the ancient Edomites. The bottom line is that uh, archeologists have to be much more careful about uh, their use of uh, absence of evidence or the, the fact that they don't find magnificent structures and uh, and walled towns uh, in the assessment of the historicity of the biblical text, because the, the biblical uh, text is all about nomads that created something uh, big, and you ask yourself, what was, how do, how did a king, a, a nomadic king, uh, present presented his wealth, uh, let's say in Edom, let's say in the mines, so it could have been in a huge tent, it could have been with garments, and we have a fantastic discovery from like a year ago of the true purple garment from Timna. Uh, Some cloth made uh, dyed with the argaman, the true purple that is made out of sea snails. So this is the most expensive dye at the time. And we have remains of that in a nomadic society on the very far periphery. So this is part of what we should imagine. A tribal coalition that was strong enough to be called a kingdom, that was led by a king, and this is the case for Edom, and we can think about the similar situation for, in the land of, in, in the center of Israel for the early
0: Israelites. Erez, this has been fascinating, and I could dive into it with you for many more hours. <laughs> I think that we really touched the, uh, the very tip. If you could hold on, can you hold the Smithsonian magazine that you showed before, just so that our viewers can see it? I encourage all of you, if you're interested in really touching upon that history that means so much, not just on the biblical stage and not just for Israel, but as you heard from Erez in archaeology in general, read that magazine and all of the stories around it. It's truly fascinating. Erez, thank you so much for your time and for joining us. It was an incredible
1: pleasure speaking with you today. It was my pleasure. And you can follow us on uh, Facebook and uh, our website and join our excavations in the winter. Thank you very much. uh, The Timna Valley project, right? Yes, Timna Valley project.
0: Spectacular. Um, Thank you very much for your important work, digging into the past and discovering its wonders for us all to witness. What I see is the incredible connections between past present, and future, and between us humans over the generations. For me, one of the most important and telling messages for us all in these new discoveries appears actually at the end of Matty Friedman's story in the magazine, where he says, the treasure of the ancient minds, it turns out, is humility. Words to live by.
1: Yeah, uh, thank you again. Sure.
0: for JBS. I'm Shaharazani Razani. Until next time, shalom and shalom. Like it out, see you soon.